Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged devil bill. This week it's Popstar, Never Stop Killing Gunther. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. We will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I'm just sitting here for this uh, pleasant talking head interview where I'm sure nothing out of the ordinary will happen. And I am Adam Thomas, and I apologize for the bad choice. Well, we'll get into that here, with because basically, if you're unaware of Double Edge Devil Bill, every week Adam and I pick two movies at the end of a, an episode for the next one, uh, based on a random topic. We have a good and a bad choice. And so, uh, this week, our patrons over at patreon.com slash gedbpod chosen a poll for a comedy subgenre for us to do, and we ended up with mockumentaries, which mockumentary is interesting because we're definitely sticking to more of the comedic side of it, but it's a pretty fluid genre in terms of uh, you can do like horror movies this way, sci-fi movies, whatever. It's a fun idea of just like a fake documentary within a universe could make for like an interesting storytelling device in the right hands. When you say the term mockumentary, I instantly think of comedy. But yeah, I'd say there's probably even more in the horror genre than even in comedy. But yeah, it's always a fun thing, especially when it's done right, because, you know, just the ability to sort of suspend disbelief and think that maybe this is a real thing that's happening somewhere. It just adds so much more to it. Yeah, I think most people think of it more on the comedic side just because of stuff like the Christopher Guest movies. Even, well, I was like, this is Spinal Tap, kind of like solidified what a mockumentary was, even though there were earlier examples. That's kind of like what most people think of when they hear the idea of like, oh, it's like a fake documentary. It's Spinal Tap or the later ones like Best in Show and stuff like that, which admittingly, those movies work so geniusly because they improvise all that shit. So it feels natural, despite how fucking silly and ridiculous they can be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd say most of them are good. There's two that are, uh, but most of them are pretty good. But uh, today, we are talking about a good and a bad one here uh, that we picked, like I said, at the end of our last episode. Uh, your bad pick was uh, Killing Gunther. We'll talk about that one first. <sighs> and then we'll talk about uh, my good pick, which was Popstar Never Stop, Never Stopping. Let's just go ahead and jump into it then with Killing Gunther. Gunther may be the most feared hitman working in the industry today. If you want to be king, you have to kill the king. Everyone knows who he is. Gunther. Gunther. Gunther's Where is Gunther? I'm right here. <laughs> Guess who? He's the greatest hitman ever. Bullseye. I will be the guy who killed Gunther. I put together an unstoppable team. Just erase that. When I found out that there were a bunch of assassins trying to kill me, I got pissed off. Been a bit of a rocky start. They're gonna get terminated, that I can tell you. Go ahead, kill me! So 
So Killing Gunther uh, came out in 2017, uh, September 22nd, 2017, uh, and stars its director and writer, uh, Taron Killam, who, it's, it's kind of weird, with this episode, we're technically kind of doing another SNL vehicles episode, <laughs> because both of our films feature prominently former cast members of SNL, and in this case, you know, Taron Killam is a guy who, when he was on SNL, he was quite funny. Yeah, I, I think he was a good go-to guy for as far as we need, you know, someone to fill in for half a season doing an impression or someone to come up with this the goofy character out of nowhere. He, he was kind of that guy. I don't think he was ever quite the star, but he was always a very, very solid sort of performer. A really great sort of like utility player. Yeah. Show, where it's just like you need somebody who's like reliable, probably won't steal the scene, but like perfectly services the scene and bounces off everybody pretty well. Kill him was always a pretty solid get for that. Um and that clearly kind of shows with uh, this movie where he's sort of the big creative person on the star that um, he can't quite take the reins, I guess, as well, especially for like a feature film. Would you say, yeah. Adam? Yeah, I'd say that's a very, very um, uh, sort of diplomatic statement, way to put it. Uh, no, he cannot cannot carry a movie by himself no because if you don't know because this movie's fairly obscure uh it's basically this uh, mockumentary that follows a group of hired killers who um the main one blake played by taron killam has hired a documentary crew to basically document him trying to catch the titular uh killer gunther who's like this big celebrated assassin guy that's like so talented and everyone's like oh my god he's like a legend and uh, his team consists of, like, some familiar people, like Bobby Moynihan, another SNL alumni, is, like, the explosives guy, um, and there's, like, there's a couple other people. And, of course, the big selling point of this movie was uh, the to play Gunther, they got Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he was prominently advertised and everything, but he does not show up until about the 67-minute mark in this 93-minute long movie. Yeah... Yeah, and when he does, it's it's not exactly like a grand, exciting thing either. It's kind of like a, you know, a fart in the wind. The, the thing is, I don't think that's a deal breaker. Because, like, that could be, like, if you have a solid, like, hour before a movie, and then you have Arnold sort of, like, the, you know, icing on top of the cake, that could be, like, a fun thing. He doesn't have to play, like, a huge, prominent role necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in execution, even though I agree it's not the best Arnold comedy material, um... It's a real breath of fresh air, considering the first, like, 66 minutes of this movie are pretty much devoid of laughs. It is, like, dire. What? <laughs> you weren't laughing the whole time? I was oh. in stitches so much, oh, so I, I couldn't oh. stop it. Aaron, Aaron, you poisoned himself. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible film. Uh, it, it's it's not even shot well. It's so choppily edited, which I understand. It's supposed to be like a POV documentary style, and all. And, and, just, and it's clearly it, like a low budget doesn't necessarily mean you can't be funny. Obviously, no, of course not. Comedies, yeah, of course not. It's just this one. It reaches to be bigger than what it is with a half cocked idea. Yeah, like I think that's the thing is Killam was also like obviously like a lot of SNL people. He wrote on SNL, and I think this feels so much like a sketch stretched out to, like, 93 minutes. Oh, yeah, 100%. And even, like, individual scenes feel like sketches that would be cut at dress for SNL. <laughs> Just, like, and they run so long, because, like, obviously you can make, like, a joke that goes on for a bit too long funny, but it feels sure. like every single one of those jokes, like, make up this movie pretty much. Because, like, there, there are so many sequences where they just really hold on, like, oh, we're going to really milk this for all the comedic potential there is, and when there isn't any... 
it's so bare bones dry of any laughs. It's just like it's it's awkward to even watch because you can tell like obviously like Kilman's very talented. Bobby Moynihan's a very funny guy. Yeah, he's hilarious. They're performers who can perform really well comedically when they have like a guiding hand to help them either as a writer or a director. When those guys are it piloting that ship, um, it doesn't work. Like at all, it, it really it's just like oh, but we can just really um, emphasize on our comedic talents. We know how we are. We can know, and instead of like actually emphasizing on each other's talents, it's more of just like oh, let me indulge way more than I should. Yeah, I think that's fair. Killiam and everybody else was given a very long leash to kind of you know maybe see what they could do, but it, it's just like you said, and that's a very good way to put it, it feels like it's every joke beat to death. It feels like it's Jay Leno's monologue over and over and over and over. <sighs> We've said it before. We'll probably say it again. One of the hardest things to sit through is an unfunny comedy. And this is definitely that. But it, it, part of the problem really with it is, is that there is a potential here for something funny. There could be a, some funny bits to this. It is kind of a funny story. Could be a funny story. While not wholly original, still, it, there could be some jokes in it. Like you said, the idea of having Arnold in it is kind of funny too. It's populated by pretty good performers. It's just so sloppy. Like, I don't know if, if there was too beholden beholden to like a lackluster script or they were just kind of let improv with some real strong parameters on them like it just it feels like everybody's trying to go for it but they're getting pulled back at the last minute too the strong parameters thing i slightly disagree with i think what this feels more like is that improv thing but also they had no parameters karen killen was just like let's have fun everybody it feels like a great example of a movie where everybody probably had fun making it but it does not translate to the screen, like, whatsoever. I think, like, and and you, I agree, there's plenty of, like, fun ideas. Like, you mentioned Aaron Yo's character, who uh-huh. is this guy who, like, the whole twist is, like, oh, everyone else is, like, good at, like, guns or explosives. His whole thing is poisons. Like, in theory, that's a fun thing to, like, add as, like, an additional element where it's, like, oh, can this guy be useful at all as a poison expert or whatever? And... The problem is just that, like, I, I don't think Aaron Yeo is, like, untalented. He's not, like, people might know him as, like, he was the comedic relief in the Friday the 13th remake. And I thought he was quite fun as a Chewy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, for right. sure. Um, but I just think in, in this context, they just kind of came up with the idea of the character. Like, okay, he's a poison expert and he's flamboyant. He has, like, this elaborate costume. It's like, oh, great. And, like, what else is there to that guy? Did we mention that he's a poison expert? <laughs> like, it's yeah. one joke. And they don't really add much to it. <laughs> No, they pretty much beat the joke to death. Again, could be funny. A funny idea. There could be a good confrontation where they all got guns out and they're fighting a guy and he's got poison. And they do that, but they do it 20 times. It takes the wind out of the sails on everything it's trying to do pretty instantly in this movie. Yeah, and it's one of those comedies where especially when you're not laughing at a comedy, you start doing something you shouldn't be doing, which is starting to question things. Like The mockumentary element of it feels so much like they didn't originally plan it. Like, I would not be surprised if this was written originally as, like, a straightforward movie. And then because they got Arnold, and most of the budget obviously went to getting Arnold, they had to have a cheaper substitute way, so they had the mockumentary angle of it. And I think it just, like, shows all the seams that are there. Like, how come they interview Colby Smulders, who is obviously, like, she's married to Taron Killen and stuff like that, talented Uh performer. How come they interview her before they even, like, ever shoot with Taron Killen? at a certain point like are they because like the whole concept is like oh you're just shooting proof that like he's gonna kill gunther as uh-huh. opposed to actually making a documentary why you're actually going to the lengths of like interviewing people who you don't really need to be interviewing and shit like that which none of this shit would be questioned if i was laughing 
consistently at all in this movie, and I'm not. So I'm bringing up like things like that, or even the way it looks. Like it, you mentioned it, it looks so much like it's a lower budget Netflix movie as opposed to like a movie washed out with the colors, but still clear enough to where it feels almost like you know higher grade consumer cameras and shit like that. It doesn't look great, which doesn't help it either. When once again we're not laughing at anything, so it looks cheap and it feels like it poorly put together. But the jokes aren't there to distract from that. I'm hard-pressed to even think in this movie, which, again, is lousy, but of one bit that actually really worked for me. Like, the only thing I think of that was kind of funny, it just, but again, it carried on too long, is the scene with, like, all the cars exploding. I was about to say that's the one bit I kind of laughed at is the fact yeah. that like there's there's a point where Bobby Moynihan rigs a specific car to explode because somebody's going to come down and open the car and everything. And the twist is that Gunther has rigged all of the other cars in the area to explode except for that one. Like that one uh-huh. is the only one that never explodes, which I thought was a clever bit. But yeah, then they do a whole thing where it's like, oh, we have to leave here. And then they go into an alleyway and they wait to hear all the cars explode. And then one behind them explodes after like a two or three minute beat of no cars exploding or whatever. It, it, it's I agree like that was the one where it's like oh this is a really solid joke and then they just kind of kill it yeah yeah again it goes on for about you know a good three to five minutes too long the thing is I don't want to sit here and just completely shit on this movie but I, I'm finding it hard pressed to even come up with anything redeeming whatsoever I can at least say we mentioned the Arnold thing obviously when he comes in later and I agree that it's not like height Arnold comedy work but at the same time he's like into it which I think is fun I think like because like the whole thing is once they confront Gunter at his house they like sneak into his house and then the reveal is like oh Gunter's here and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and then the whole twist is that he has a separate documentary crew who is filming him and they go back to previous points in the movie where he was like following them around basically and there's like certain bits of that I find funny particularly there's a point where like they during that car explosion scene one car blows up with like his assistant or whatever in it and then Arnold's just like oh my god they blew up that car with my assistant with a bunch of dickles like I never heard him say dickles that's funny that's true alright I'll give you that one I guess <laughs> and, and also I will say like the, the Arnold I think is like game enough to where there are certain bits I also find funny like especially the epilogue of the movie where after like all the climax stuff happens he's like off in Austria and he's like, oh, I started like a retirement community for gardening. He's wearing later hosen, <laughs> and he's just like really invested in like the gardening thing and shit. Like that. I'm almost just like, I would rather have this movie of Arnold as a retired hitman, yeah, 100%. Like, like a peaceful life, which is like, look, we're growing oranges, and I'm starting my country music career. Which over the end credits, you hear Arnold sing. A yes. full country western song, and it's actually pretty funny. I think it's charming. <laughs> yeah, that, right there would be a good movie where it's just you're following Arnold, and then occasionally these wacky assassins will come in and try to kill him. If they would have just flipped it, it totally would have worked. Mm-hmm. It's just none of the other characters are at any way interesting or uh, I don't know fun enough to sit through for 97 minutes or however fucking long this thing is. Yeah, and it doesn't help also that that's when when they finally get to Arnold, that's when they start rolling out the Schwarzenegger references. Oh so god, cringy. it's so bad. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but particularly they they have a whole thing about the um, this is how I learned to like uh, put my hand up someone's ass and rip out their spine. I'm like, okay, I get, it. and then he escapes, and Taryn has to say no, he got to the chopper. Now I don't know if you got that joke, but it's the the idea is that it's a reference to his line from Predator. 
What? Was trying to get everyone to the chat. I know, right? It's really I clever, never. Really no, right. I, I don't know. I got to do some research on that. <laughs> it's a bit of a deep cut for all you real sports fans <laughs> out there. You I, might know. <laughs> I think you're telling tales out of school again. I don't think that's a real thing. Oh, I know. It was so, like, grown worthy. <sighs> you know, I don't mind that sort of humor occasionally when it's done. Like, you know, a quick little nod and a wink. Like, it's fine sometimes. It, absolutely. But when it's, you know, three to seven times in rapid succession, it gets so bad. Especially near the end of the movie when you've not laughed that much and it feels so much more desperate. It's like, look, Arnold's here and we're going to make references to Arnold. And all that. That's, well, we... that's a thousand percent, yeah. Right, right. Especially as they're, like, shooting. And once again, it's so low budget that clearly they shot this in, like, some, like, uh, show home for like real estate agents because mm-hmm. it looks oh, like yeah. it doesn't it does oh, not yeah. look at all like an actual house it's a model home it's right. the bluth it's the yes. bluth home <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> there's always money in the banana stand. yep 100% um, I will also say there's a pretty clever sort of the one bit of clever direction I thought was in this bit where um when uh, Killam and Schwarzenegger are fighting each other. There's a whole setup of the fact that the cameramen have left or have been like shot or murdered, and it's just down to like Killam and Arnold. And all of the cameras have been placed in different places by either dropped off by the camera people or stuff like that. And the entire like final fight is only shot from like these various different stagnant points. Sure. I mean, if you got to find something, <laughs> I guess there you go. I, I mean, yeah, I guess. I just still, though, I just think the whole thing was so piss poor that even like that bit felt like oh, maybe too little too late even. No, yeah, because you had to suffer through a lot of shit. Like, we haven't mentioned this, but like a lot of talented performers and stuff like that. But this one dude who plays Gabe, the tech guy, all Paul oh, Green, oh. is like, it, it's like, oh, hey, can we get Bo Burnham, but completely strip any of the charm and also lower him by about two feet? <laughs> Because yep. this guy is so gratingly annoying and has no last revival. It's just like, and it was one of these comedy characters who's just there to be like an annoying asshole. And I just repeat the same jokes like, oh, well, the, the Karen Kilm's trying to do an interview with a documentary crew and he's like in the background, like trying to drink water or talking on his cell phone or some bullshit like that. Just these characters are like, oh, we have nothing. So can we get the performer to like try and ad lib a bit? And there's nothing coming out of that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh,. Again, so what you're saying is you didn't think anything in this movie worked for the most part. Yeah, and even the stuff I thought worked is more of like a Stockholm Syndrome, like, well, I've been not laughing for so long. (laughs) I gotta find something. Right. Oh, hey, yeah, there you go. Oh, shit, there's three Arnold references. Arnold's got like a funny haircut this time. (laughs) He's way later hosen. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, it's this. This is just a piss poor movie. Like I said, you know, when tasked with coming up with a bad mockumentary, there are several other ones I could have chosen, of course. Uh, but I saw this maybe a year or two ago for the first time. This is only the second time I've watched it. And I'll tell you right now, there will not be a third. And it just stuck with me because I remember thinking, oh, poor Taron Killiam. You left or got fired or a combination of both from SNL to make this movie. And ouch. Yeah, the, the trouble is you want to feel that pity, but then Kobe Smolders is in the movie, and you're like, he isn't having that bad. No, he's doing all right. Right. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> he's just totally fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
but but yeah i mean and it, i think it's so principal too for like the mockumentary thing because like i said the mockumentary element is so secondary to this movie it feels like it's a necessary budgetary problem i think that's, that's the like, case yeah right right yeah. Where, like, there's certain things, like, there's a whole gag they do where, like, they're being attacked while they're trying to have a meeting early on. The camera crew, like, it stops filming when, like, a fucking rocket launcher just suddenly comes, like, spurting through. And Taron Killen's like, why did you stop filming? Why would you ever stop filming? It's like, oh, because of a budgetary thing. You couldn't show that explosion. Like, it's it's meant to be, like, a fun gag of, like, oh, no, they stopped filming and missed this big event. And that's key because there's a way better example of that. In the other movie we're going to be talking about, it's like the best gag of that fucking movie. <laughs> one of the best, yeah, 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 absolutely. One of the best ones, yes, yes. But that's an example where it's just like, oh, that's not actually that funny a gag. It's just clearly like, uh, we couldn't afford this. So we're going to mask that with an attempted joke, but the problem is the joke is not at all funny. Well, yeah, the joke doesn't land because you know exactly why it was done. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, if it was... If it was handled better or done better, then it'd be, it could be a funny concur- reoccurring joke. But it's so obvious that it's done for the budgetary constrictions, which, again, fine. I have no problem with low-budget comedy, low-budget movies. You know, people doing what they can with what they got. That's fine. But it, this one just tries in a, such a weird way to mask it that I think this movie would have maybe had a little bit more going for it if they leaned into the fact that it's such a low budget instead of trying to really be bigger than they could really handle. Yeah, their their reach far exceeds their grasp. Yeah, that's a better way of saying it than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no worries. Well, movie, movie not work good. No grab ad. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I edit out everybody. Adam mostly does that <laughs> throughout the show. I just edit that part. Those parts. Yeah. Yeah, he's just got he's got a thing of me saying each word of the dictionary that he just chopped together sentences. <laughs> You think like, oh, is it some kind of like weird Zoom issue? No, it's just no. I have to edit together, like splice. It's, I'm that good an editor. I can yeah. get that done. Yes, and that quick in order to build a full hour episode where you have to create <laughs> the whole other persona. <laughs> Even this uh, whole explanation explaining it, masterful. Yes, <laughs> yes. brilliant, brilliant. A webby, please. Yeah. Um, but by the way, if we, we told you about Raid Shadow Legends. Join today and use your name. You get 500 free crystals and access to exclusive champion Balzac the Berserker. Not sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends, but once again, Raid. Raid Shadow Legends will take it. Please. Hell, I'll be sponsored by Hems at this point. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Look, I mean, if you're having thinning hair, Hems is the best source. I thought Hems was boner pills. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're both at this point. I don't know. They sponsor enough podcasts. They, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're expanding their reach. Sure. <laughs> uh, but you know what? We're clearly running out of things to say about killing Gunther. So, any final thoughts, Adam? It's garbage. It's not funny. Uh, it's a complete. It's just a waste of time. This movie's a waste of your time. Uh, Ninety minutes or not, you're never going to get it back. Just you know, if you are one of those die, I don't, I don't know if we have anybody that does this, but that watches every movie we do. I apologize. Well, uh, yeah, I would agree that I think it's a waste of your time. There's some, like, brief oasises of fun bits. Like, I'm sure that fucking Arnold singing the Western song is on YouTube somewhere. Listen to that. That's the funniest. That's the most I laughed, honestly, this whole entire movie. was. It's during the end credits where he sings the full fucking country Western song. That's a pretty fun bit. But um, And Arnold's kind of game, and everyone's honestly kind of game, but it's just a problem of, like, when you have like fun comedic personas who don't really have any guidance, 
to like how they can like structure that around like a full movie. It really shows like the thing is we mentioned those Christopher Guest comedies. Those movies are barely 90 minutes long. Like most of them hit credits by like the 85 minute mark. He knows like, oh, let's get this through and fast and done. As opposed to this movie, like every joke stretches out. Even at 93 minutes, it feels interminable at certain points. Um, and it's no affront to, like, kill him or Bobby Moynihan, Kobe Smulders, a lot of talented people in this movie. Um, it's just uh, really devoid of laughs. And like you mentioned, that's the worst kind of movie to sit through, is a comedy that's trying to make you laugh and you can't even make fun of a bad comedy. But we have a much funnier movie to talk about as our good feature, a pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. <laughs> Connor for real is actually saving the record industry. Everybody's just waiting to see, like, what he does next. Connor's hot. You tell me you didn't see him and say, yo, he's the star. We're like McCartney and Kanye. And yeah, I was, yeah. I'd love to get Connor to the point where he's just kind of everywhere, like oxygen or gravity or clinical depression. He's just everywhere. Make sure all the instruments are tip top. No one really plays guitar, but we got him here in case he wants one. Deborah's a genius. <laughs> it's pronounced Deborah. What's the origin of that? I believe Deborah. It's not a competition, but I'm winning. You won't give me a because I'm so. You know, it takes a village to make me look dope. Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping came out June 3rd, 2016, and is from the Lonely Island crew, which consists of Andy Samberg, who was also an SNL cast member, but also Akiva Schaefer and Yorma Takone, who were writers and, more importantly, the big creative people behind the SNL digital shorts that were very popular from, like, 2005 to around 2013. So basically Andy Samberg's tenure on the show. And it's a weird thing, Adam, we've talked about this off mic, that it's kind of a weird connecting point for us, even though, like, for you, you watched those shorts, but you were kind of alone in your age group, right? You weren't as, like, it wasn't as popular with, like, people amongst your age when they were coming out. Um, They were pretty popular, dude, among me and my friends, too. I mean, you got to figure mid-20s or so is probably when we were catching them, and we thought they were fucking hilarious, dude. Uh, I mean, it started, it started with the Chronicles of Narnia, Lazy Sunday. Of course. And then just on and on and on. I mean, by the time it got to, like, Jack Sparrow, Michael Bolton, I was starting to feel fatigue from it. They were still funny. But, yeah, no, I always had a soft spot for them. I liked them quite a bit. Well, I guess that perspective comes from me being a bit younger. Like, as opposed to, like, oh, these are really funny. We like watching them. Like, Lazy Sunday, I still remember very vividly for, like, a young me and, like, kids amongst my age being, like, a revelation because like it was the in 2005 that was also right around the time of like youtube becoming popular and how many times i saw like i couldn't watch lazy sunday because snl was not viable to the internet at that time so i saw so many uh, people recreate like shot for shot lazy sunday oh yeah which, like, oh. right early youtube was gl like <laughs> a glut of those kind of videos uh, but also like the dear sister i remember that was like a huge thing like, it, I think it's because, like, that cast was sort of, like, my SNL cast, and, like, these digital shorts in particular were, like, oh, they spoke directly to us. And I actually rewatched like, a bunch of them right mm -hmm. before, like, over like doing research for the show. And obviously some of them don't hold up nearly as well as others, but when they fucking still hit, they hit so hard. Like, what would you say is your favorite? Space Olympics. 
Space Olympics is great. Underrated. <laughs> it's so <laughs> good. As I stare death in the face, I know my sins will take me to hell. <laughs> oh, man, too good. Uh, yeah, probably Space Olympics, but, man. Um, I, Dear Sister is funny, too. I always liked Mother Lover as well. Right, of course. Dick, Dick in a Box, stuff like that. that mm-hmm. Those are like the, the big, big hits. My favorite is another sort of like, I guess, of like a B-tier one, but I think one that deserves a lot more love is uh, Great Day. Oh, that's a good one. Yep. I love the escalation of that sketch so much. And obviously those guys, like, around that time would also start branching off into movies like Hot Rod, which was not popular in the theaters, but was a huge, like, home video hit. That was, like, one of the big DVDs. It's so good. Still very funny, yes. Really, yep. really love that movie. And then Pops are ne- uh, Never Stop, Never Stopping is sort of their most recent attempt at, like, kind of a vehicle like that. And I would argue even more than Hot Rod, it feels like a huge successor to, like, those digital shorts. Because it feels so much more in keeping with those than even Hot Rod is. Yeah, 100%. Connor, for real, is just a digital short character. Mm-hmm. Just just blown up into a full feature movie. A, a, a thousand percent, it's a digital short. The the music, the, the fuck Bin Laden bit and all that, I mean, it's such a digital short. Right, but thankfully, this doesn't feel like just a sketch that's stretched out to an 87-minute movie, it does actually feel like a, a real comedy movie. And also, a very good mockumentary, because basically, this is a parody of a lot of these like weird concert documentary movies that were coming out around this time in theaters. Like, Justin Bieber had one that's the like namesake of this. is like Never Say Never. There was that one, or the Jonas Brothers one. Well, or there, Katie, Katie, Perry yep, one. Katie Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yes, yes. They were kind of like, oh, let's give you an insight into me touring and my life, but also me on stage. And I think the genius of like a lot of those digital shorts and this movie is that the production is so good and close to those that when the comedic elements come in, it's just so much funnier that they're saying all this stupid shit, but all this huge production is going into it. It's ridiculous. No, I mean, it's, the thing is, yeah, this is obviously a parody and stuff, but it's not that far from the truth either. <laughs> just the fucking ego on these pop stars where they think they are so fucking rad and important. And like just the production value behind like Justin Bieber is singing baby and there's pyro going off. <laughs> People had like a, you know, a fucking El Camino on stage. It's like, what the fuck is happening here? The, the Katy Perry one also is like the, some of the most. That's one of the worst ones. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very elaborate. It was like the that, the concerts that happen, which is like the ridiculous bright colors and all this other stuff. The concert scenes in this movie do such a great job. Like, I love the layout of the stage and everything to like have these giant big graphics show up and it's for stupid shit like the fuck Bin Laden song. <laughs> it's, like, it's so fucking... Or him making a whole tribute to how much the Mona Lisa sucks. That Mona Lisa song is so fucking good. It's, just, it's like, so good. You're an overrated piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> or even like when they get to like the music videos, like my favorite example of that brilliant satire is the Equal Rights song. Oh, it's so where good. yeah, right, where he's singing a song about just like I can't. Why can't we have equal rights for everybody to get you know for gay people to be married? But also, I'm not gay. Like he keeps mentioning shit, just like uh, equal rights, chicken wings, equal rights, predator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love it. That shows Rago. I don't know what he's preaching about. You get it is legal to get McCabe married. Like it's been legal for a long time. I don't right, know what his stance is. Another great thing is they have plenty of testimonials from people, actual celebrities in the music industry, talking about Connor for real as if he's a masterful performer. 
and it's so fucking funny. Like the style boys were so influential to Nas. Uh, the running gag of Usher being like, I really wanted to do the donkey roll with them. <laughs> well, Nas. Nas is beautiful because he's just like so sincere. Questlove, all these fucking guys. It's great. It's so good. And then it's just, you know, and just how well they do it with Connor, where he's just such an oversharing fucking egomaniac. You know, like, yo, just jacked it, feeling pretty chill right now. <laughs> like, and he's so out of touch with everything. He's got so many yes men behind him. That's another great bit of this, his crew, where yes. they just, you know, anything he does, they're like, oh, that's great. You know, he literally feeds them shit. I mean, my, my favorite, of course, being one of the most reliable people to ever be on SNL and other things, Tim Meadows. Oh, I love Tim Meadows. so fucking funny. As who, was, who was part of Tony, 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 Tony? <laughs> I wanted to put a question mark because I felt like it was a bit of different and then everyone questioned it so I just didn't I left the <laughs> uh, but I mean but just he- the po- just the point with Andy, Andy Samberg Connor's character that it's just how much you know these people with money these pop stars with money how much they can just kind of skirt the line or get away with like you know he's like yeah I wrote a song about being in Spain and with Spain you gotta say everything with a Spain with, an, with a lisp and he writes a whole song like that and like Nobody would stop this guy, but you can't do that, man. That's not right. And chances are, nah. Like, even the Equal Rights song is a great example of that, where he even points out there, just like, oh, man, that Equal Rights song was offensive, listen, <laughs> and shit like that. Like, I, I like also the fact that, like, despite the fact that early on you can tell that, like, oh, Connor's such a piece of shit, they do build an actual arc for him over the course of this movie. Oh, yeah, for It sure. doesn't feel like it's just a gag. There's plenty of, like, gags along the way, and they build jokes through the humor, but I love like stuff like when Chris Red comes in, which this is my first time I ever saw Chris Red, and that was this like, probably my favorite Chris Red period yeah. still to this day. Well, I think the trouble is that he later would go on to SNL, and he's one of many people currently on SNL, which is like you are stranded without funny bits to do. That's my biggest thing. Like him and Kyle Mooney, a lot of other people on that show. I'm just like, oh man, you because I can tell they're so good and stuff like here. Red is so fucking funny every time. He's like basically playing a parody of like Tyler the Creator. And such a funny, like, play on that guy, which is, his songs are, like, so confrontational and angry, and he tries to play, like, oh, I'm totally, like, a big fan of Connor, but stuff, like, when they have the whole mishap happen with the costume change, and Connor is, like, naked on stage, then later on, they talk to Chris Reddit about just, like, I mean, I can't believe, does anyone know how that happened? Just like, maybe I did it. No. Or did I? No, no, no. Or did I? <laughs> That's an example of a joke that goes on for a while, but keeps getting fucking funnier because of how good Red is as a comedic performer. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he's great in this. And, it, you know, he's got the where they're doing prank wars on each other and shit all the time. And they're just maniacs. His main song, I'm not going to repeat any of it because it's got some pretty big slurs in it. But it's, it's so uberly confrontational and just mad and angry but yeah that bit that running bit is one of my favorite in, in the whole movie that might be my favorite gag. no i didn't do that maybe i did no nah, no nah. yeah i did hell i did i did it i don't fucking know <laughs> it's so good but um yeah they do give they do give connor a good arc where you know he's sort of his ego and all this stuff gets the better of him, and he, he's not performing well. The whole bit with the fridge is great. It's like kind of a parody on the sort of U2 thing where they threw their shit on your phones and you didn't yes, even want right. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's so good. And, and, you know, where he sort of just goes downhill and has his, 
his sort of reconciliation moment with Yorma character with that fucking makeup that he's wearing. You know, it's so good. But yeah, no, there's a lot of just really heartfelt bits to this too. Like that's what makes the movie work so well. Like, yeah, it's funny. It's it's a total parody and it's ridiculous and silly. But like you near the end actually kind of want these guys to get back together. Right, because the big thing is that he, like, the three main guys from Lonely Island play these people who used to be part of, like, a the Style Boys, which was, like, Beastie Boys parody of sorts that, like, used to be, like, oh, we were, like, young rappers, and then Connor became really successful off the catchphrase verse, which I also love, too. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Diggity doink! (laughs) Diggity doink. Dilbert. I love the fact that, like, yeah, Yorma is one of the other guys from the Style Boys who has become just his DJ who's just like, oh, yeah, I just play songs off an iPod, but I have a lot of, like, songs on here and also audiobooks. He has, like, Harry Potter on the fucking iPod. But then um, Akiva plays the the other guy who is, like, completely distanced from the music industry and is off on a farm. And I love any time they cut to him and how just Stone Cold, like, no, man, I am I was a serious musician and I totally had everything. And they cut to, like, his actual songs, like, the solo song he did about just, like, all the stuff in my Jeep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I love his wood carvings. Yes. That they're just terrible. He is not good at it at all. This one is oppressive government for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, for obvious reasons. And I, one of my favorite parts is like, he's like, man, is that, I, and I forget his character's name, and Yorma's like, yeah, he just wants to talk to you, and it shows him sitting in the limo, and he's just blankly staring straight at it, nothing, for like a good solid 20 seconds. <laughs> it's so fucking funny, dude. This Oh, dude, we got to talk about Justin Timberlake as the chef. Yes. Where he's, where he's so happy about his carrots that he could he could prepare carrots in five different ways. <laughs> eat, it shows Connor eat a carrot. He's outside the door through the little window, like crying and smiling. He's so happy. It's ridiculous. That was being in the fish costume and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so stupid. And, and what I like too is that like that is playing into what I when Timberlake actually does work as an actor. It's totally when he's a, like, despite obviously being Justin Timberlake, one of the biggest pop stars ever. He is so good at playing like a total lack of security in who he is. And it's so perfect, like and, like when he's trying to like sing while he's cutting up things. Everyone's like, "Yo, shut the fuck up! We're trying to watch TV." I know the one guy in the room with genuine talent. <laughs> They're constantly about telling him to shut up. And the one guy, I love his sort of like I said, I love his crew. You know, the kid with the long blonde hair. I can't think of his name, but he's from the In Betweeners, and he is so fucking funny in this to me. You know, where it's it just everything, like Connor shooting the basketball. Oh, you got it, man. Yeah. You know, he's just such a yes man. And it works so well. Or when they meet up with Chris Red's character and they're, he's doing the whole thing where, like, Chris Red's laughing. They're all trying to, like, match his laugh and they're yeah. totally terrified. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. It's so good. <laughs> well, and I think the, the big thing also is, like, with an Andy Sandberg, what I love about him as a comedic persona is the fact that, like, he is also so perfect at playing a guy who is, like, all bluster, and then the moment there's, like, one sort of, like, brick out of the wall, he crumbles. Like, when he's reading the reviews about the second album that are, like, terrible, and he's just like, um, well, out of five stars, they gave it a shit emoji. That might be some kind of mistake. Now I'm reading the review, and that pretty much matches what they're displaying. (laughs) He's willing to, like, when he actually faces the reality, he's like, oh, yeah... I guess that is true. And then he just goes fucking off the deep end. Like when Tim Meadows and like the crew are talking like, oh no, he's doing great. Like why Connor? And like, he's covered in a sheet and he falls into the pool. 
It's such a good physical comedy bit. He's just like so desperate and falls in. No, yeah, that's that's the one thing that works about Andy Samberg in this, in Hot Rod, in Brooklyn Nine Nine, and anything you've seen him in. He comes up. He could be like a cocky prick, kind of jerky, dumb, all this stuff. But like, he has genuine like feelings and emotions. Like shit really hurts him. Like it really, really gets upset by stuff. And that bit you were talking about too is they gave it a shit emoji. But oh, here we go. Here we go. Connor for real's next album is whatever, like the greatest thing ever. Thank you, The Onion. (laughs) 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 But um, yeah, you just, like I said, yeah, the pool scene, great. But then that's followed up by the thing we were alluding to earlier, which is one of my favorite sort of missing real scenes in any movie. Yes. I mean, you know, what's going on? Oh my God, it's Hornets. Quick, give me the (laughs) flamethrower. And then it sounds like a helicopter. Oh no, it's their queen. <laughs> and it's, and it's screeching. Like, yeah, you got it. Hell yeah, man. Tell me you filmed that. You told us to stop filming. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it's directed by uh, Akiva and Yorma. And I think they do such a great job of once again, recreating that style for like one of these documentaries or also knowing when to do like fun subversions on them, like that element or the interviews where you do have people like my favorite is ASAP Rocky talking about like, man, I, you know, you got to diversify again. That's why I have ASAP Crunchables <laughs> and they have the ASAP <laughs> Crunchables promo <laughs> pop uh-huh. up and shit like that. Like it looks so glossy like it is one of these movies. And then when you have like the overlap or thing like uh, the hologram of uh, Adam Levine in the middle of the I'm so humble song, like humping the other Adam Levine <laughs> yep. like, hologram. Like they do so much with like, wow, this feels like it's authentic in a way that it's just like so fucking ridiculous when the stupid comedic bit comes up into it. They, it's the perfect kind of comedy where like they know what they're parodying and they have an affection for it. At the same time, they know when to just include something so fucking ridiculous. Right. Like Yorma's fucking uh, Transformer light helmet. It's like Optimus Prime's dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they, you know, he catches back up with Yorma and he's playing at that club and he's like, his beats are really good. People are into it. But then when he starts singing, <laughs> it's just terrible. It's just, it's so good. What would you say is your favorite of the songs? Oh, man. Um, I do like Bin Laden quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the Mona Lisa song because it, it, it's just out of nowhere it comes up and you're like, wait a minute, what is he singing about? <laughs> Mona Lisa's an overrated piece of shit. He's got a whole song about this. And he has a verse dedicated to dumping on the pyramids and then saying, Mona Lisa, you're worse than the pyramids. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking funny. That's great, but I would genuinely say it's I'm So Humble, which is another great example of like in this song that like kind of opens up the movie, basically. And mm-hmm. the great thing about that song is it is produced like an actor actual genuinely good pop song with the beat and everything most of these are right but then the lyrics come in and they're so fucking dumb where he's just like singing a song about how humble he is just like the biggest thing is that i rarely rap about all my successes (laughs) (laughs) yep i'm the most humble list number one on the humble list (laughs) (laughs) and a perfect cut to mariah carey that song song really spoke to me because i'm the most humble person i can think (laughs) Yep. <laughs> yep. She's she's very funny in that bit and also the bit where she's presenting the award with Chris Red and she leaves after he starts to like promote something. And he's like, get the hell out of here, Mariah Carey. Oh shit, she's back and she like comes walking in. <laughs> yep. 
He's scared of her. <laughs> yeah, Maya Rudolph's really solid in this, too. That's the thing. Everybody who appears in this movie is solid. There's not really one bad cameo performance. I mean, you can tell that, like, these people are, like, because, like, these guys obviously were so well known for being on SNL, but I think particularly with having, like, Akiva and Yorma, who are more comedy writers and directors, mm-hmm. like, actually filming it, they know how to also utilize everybody else who pops up, like, whether they're a celebrity who's not as known for comedy or they are, like, you know, people who were aware of, like, I love all the stuff when they cut to the TMZ parody and you got Will Arnett Oh, my God. And oh, my, oh, my God. When they're laughing so hard, it's, like, hurting them. <laughs> yes. It's killing me. And at one point, Will Arnett's got like two giant cups. Right, he gets he gets a bigger cup in like every successive shot that he's yeah. done. And then I think at one point he's got one duct tape to another one. Like, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. But it's perfect. And I would not cast anybody else in any of those roles. Other people like Sarah Silverman's very funny as one of the other uh, yes men. Joan Cusack. Oh, as his mom, just like, oh, yep. you do a line first and then moms go second. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I should. How do you do it? <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, but again, you know, it's it's so smartly written, too. I would say, you know, after Walk Hard, this is probably one of the better sort of music parody movies. Yeah, and I think it is also a shame because I actually did see this in a theater. And unfortunately, I'm like one of the few because this movie bombed hard in the summer of 20s. I saw it in the theater as well. Oh, man, we're, we're the real style boys. Kindred spirits. Oh man, <laughs> was your theater also completely empty? <laughs> uh, no, because my friend was with me, so, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, good point. Uh, but yeah, this bombed so hard, and I think also this is kind of, for me, the beginning of the end of, like, theatrically released studio comedies. It's yeah, like, there, there I'd say that's so fair. few, as someone went like, because this feels like- That are non-Judd Apatow, let's put it that well, way. Well, well, though this is a Judd Apatow-produced movie, which is part of the interesting wrinkle. Oh, fuck, never mind, I, right. don't, I, like, I don't like this movie anymore. What are you talking about? The bubble is so funny, Adam. It was so oh, great. I'm sure so it's funny. wonderful. And so mm. wonderful. And, like, we gotta respect him, because, you know, he commented that Will Smith could have killed Chris Rock. He's, like, a clear doctor about that. What <laughs> <laughs> yep. a preposterous statement. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as if that means an out-of-touch celebrity who doesn't know how to be funny anymore. It's weird. Um, but uh, it, it's what's so fascinating is that, like, this movie bombing, it kind of feels like, because like, when I was younger, the Apatow craze was, like, in full swing. Like, I remember, like, oh, my God, like, Knocked Up, 40-Year-Old Virgin. Those movies would hit so hard in the summer. And then by this point, it feels like it's the start of, like, okay, we can't really sell those because people are like, oh, I'll just watch it on, like, Netflix or whatever. When it comes out later, like a couple months, like it feels like like because these guys even migrated to streaming after this was stuff like there was the the Netflix Michael Bolton Valentine's Day special, which is very funny, very solid, yep, very very funny, or the the two uh, sports documentary parodies they did on HBO Max, very with, solid uh, as well, both of them, right, yeah, but yeah, especially Tour de Pharmacy, That's so, so good, fucking good, so good, and I think that do you think that there's like much of a space? for big studio comedies anymore at this point? Or do you think it really has gone the way of just like, oh, just be on streaming doesn't feel as like cinematic? I mean, I'm sure there will be. I, I just don't know that at, right now is the time for it. I mean, you think it'd be the perfect time for it. You think it'd be the perfect time to get people in the theater and just have them laugh their ass off at something and really have, you know, a, a, a good time and forget about shit. But it just doesn't seem to be, you know, kind of what people want right now. I, and, you know, you got to th- figure too, 
comedy is such a it's it's a subjective and it's sort of a tricky sort of genre to put out there because it's mm-hmm. you know you got to be careful you, you especially nowadays you, you, it's just well right especially when like in the the whole streaming generation element of it has kind of spoiled us to where if you're not laughing in the first five minutes you can just duck out turn it off something right else. right or if as you get offended like, shut it off right anything like that. as opposed to going out to a theater and spending your time like watching a big comedy it's like oh i'll only do that if it's part of like some kind of vague franchise i recognize like we're talking about the, this is post a ghostbusters movie coming out that was not really a comedy at all like even our comedy big franchises are migrating away from comedy yeah yeah ghostbusters isn't funny no it's all, it's all about remember being a, like ghostbusters how cool they were you remember that adam yeah. oh yeah yeah because yeah, that's remember? yeah yeah they weren't yeah. blue collar workers somehow they're they're icons who we have to like religiously worship mm-hmm. that's what they yeah. are right right yes, exactly but let's get back to pop star never stop never stopping adam what about your uh your final thoughts on pop star never stop never stopping i like i said i think it's just an insanely funny movie i think there's a lot of heart to it there's a lot of catching songs it's well acted well written well performed super funny totally in on the joke of what it's doing and yet playing it in such a sincere way that makes it even funnier even the the parts that are just pure lunacy uh they're treating it seriously for the most part i i just think it's it's a really really solid uh sort of spoof documentary style comedy i I think it's one of the better ones out there at least modern ones yeah it's definitely one of especially the better sort of like big studio produced ones because usually a mockumentary can thrive on when it's like kind of scrappy but this movie works so perfectly because it's like this big overproduced like overblown looking movie that has like all these like silly comedic things in there to like cut down whatever like glitz or glamour they have which is unfortunately something that like based on to you comedy is not being as big a thing we probably would get less of as we time has gone on since this movie but this feels like such a perfect example of how to do a great mockumentary a great spoof and all that but also have a solid like character driven story built around it that still doesn't get in the way of jokes if anything the jokes help kind of develop the characters as uh, it goes along and yeah it's it's definitely a great example of like the lonely island crew in particular just doing their thing and doing it so spectacularly well but it's time for our weekly segment the double redo double redo double so uh the double redo is a weekly segment where adam and i basically uh bring uh recommendations where we talk about you know movies we would want you all to watch and ones we wouldn't and uh it's important to note that uh, we've been doing this segment for Almost a year at this point, Adam. And uh, we're going to be announcing here that we're going to have a bit of a change to it. Because in the past, uh, each of us has come to the table with two good movies and two bad movies uh, to talk about. And uh, we realized after a certain point, like certain episodes, you can probably tell if you listen, uh, there are certain times where we only really have one good or one bad choice we have much to say about. And the segments would kind of run long and some of this other stuff. So we're going to change it to where from now on, uh, Adam and I and whatever guests will only bring one good and one bad movie to the table. So we're cutting the segment a bit more in half, but, you know, to optimize it. Yeah. Makes it easier for us, and uh, that's really the whole point. We don't really give a shit yeah, what you guys really think. Angry. Yeah, I don't really <laughs> give a fuck. 
<laughs> uh, thank you for downloading and thank you patrons for being <laughs> contributing money and helping us. Uh, but now, Adam, uh, go ahead with this new version of the Double Redo established. Uh, what are your uh, recommendations? All righty. So for good, I have a movie. I'm sure we've talked about it on the show here and there. I don't think we've ever actually covered it, uh, but it is uh, one of my favorite sort of mockumentary spoofs maybe ever. Um, and it is the Taika Waititi, What We Do in the Shadows. Um, I think it is just absolutely a pitch perfect movie. I, I think I don't have any faults with it. It's a five out of five, a 10 out of 10, whatever you want to call it. Infinitely quotable, hilarious um, and it's just, it's kind of a, a, amazing that the show that followed it up is even as good, if not better in some aspects. It, it's it's just such a funny, perfect, sweet, cute movie. Um, I, I just, I can't recommend it enough. If you haven't seen, if you've only seen the show and never seen the movie, which I know is the case with a lot of people, uh, check out the movie. And then for my bad, uh, very briefly, I've only seen it once and I remember hating it uh quite viscerally um i have the movie that this actor attempted to do as sort of his comeback and it got uh, some decent attention and pretty good cast and uh, of you know comedians along that and then of course is before i realized who his uh lineage was but uh, i have paulie shore is dead it is just a really really unfunny comedy movie like i don't I think it's absolutely terrible. And then there's all these comedians talking about, you know, oh, where did Polly go? Blah, blah, blah. I didn't realize at the time that Polly Shore's mother was Mitzi Shore, who owned the, you know, the comedy store. And so he had all these tie-ins with these people and all that stuff, which, you know, again, if you have the opportunity to sort of use relationships you made and everything, that's fine. But when it comes off like a, a sort of ego masturbation of a film, it, it's just, it's offensive. It's in poor taste. And I just think it's, garbage well yeah um i have seen what we do in the shadows um i remember i saw what we do in the shadows at south by southwest one of the years i went and i can still very much remember like finding it very funny at the time and have only grown to really love it since it came out but i remember leaving that movie with one of my friends and my friend was just like well that was funny but i don't think it's really gonna go much of anywhere which is such a funny thing i will never stop thinking but because that movie's become a cult classic one of the few like cult sort of streaming movies that came out and then end up resulting in, as you mentioned, the TV show, which is phenomenal. I love that TV show. And yeah, it seems like when I heard that was happening, I'm like, oh, this is probably gonna be like a one in one season and done forgettable show. It's like, no, it's a very great show. But the movie does such a great job of establishing a lot of the template stuff. And it really launched Taika Waititi into doing like some of the stuff he's done, you know, for, for better and worse, depending on like, you know, either your uh, Hunt for the Wilder Peoples or your Free Guys either or, but um, still very talented guy, like glad that he's uh, getting the work at least. And then um, I have not seen Polly Shore is dead. Polly Shore feels like somebody who was definitely like someone who was just like before my time to a degree. Cause all I really knew Polly Shore from is Encino man and a goofy movie. And that's literally it pretty much like, well, that, and also as a punchline, basically. Those are the only things you need to know him from. To be fair. Oh, so you're saying I shouldn't see Biodome or Jerry Duty. I'm 100% saying that, yes. Gotcha. Good. Uh, but I'll go ahead and uh, talk about my choices here. Um, I have um, two that I guess are a bit more obscure. Um, particularly one of these is, seems to be the earliest example of a mockumentary. For my good pick, I have Real Life, which is the first film directed by Albert Brooks. 
uh, very funny. I was like a comedian who would later go on to be in like uh, broadcast news and you know, a lot of funny, a very talented, funny guy. And this was the first movie he directed where it was, since it's 1978, it's very early in this, where they introduced the radical idea of Albert Brooks is trying to produce a TV show where he follows an actual family's day-to-day. So he's actually got, like, cameras that are all throughout this family's home, and in this case, it's literally, like, because it's so early, and they're like, oh, we don't have mobile cameras, they have, like, these weird helmets for cameramen to wear. <laughs> so just, like, weird spacemen walking around to, like, film this family. And as Albert Brooks, who's playing himself, uh, is, like, this producer who's trying to, like, get, like, to have fun, exciting things happen in the family, which consists of um, the father is played by Charles Grodin, and the mother is Frances Lee McCain, who you might know as the mother from Gremlins, amongst other things, and their kids. Um, it's a really funny and very prescient movie, just about the idea of like, oh, who would be interested in the real lives of people and how they walk around every day? That just feels like it'd be so boring and have no kind of like value to it whatsoever. And then, of course, obviously, what happened over the next like 40-something years happened. Um, but still, at the same time, it's so fascinating to watch, and it's still very funny for, like, all the really early attempts it's trying to do at being, like, one of these, like, uh, slice-of-life documentaries about just, like, an average suburban family. I, it, I really find it funny and fascinating. It's not my favorite Albert Brooks movie, but I think it's interesting just as a weird historical record of the first attempt to kind of, like, parody the idea even of getting so hung up on like oh a documentary crew experiencing real life to the degree of like a boring household family and the drama that persists from having a camera crew come into it and then my bad is another sort of low budget one it's one of the few directorial efforts from mr mark hamill who is uh in the movie and it's called comic book the movie and it's basically like, from what I remember, he plays like a washed up celebrity who is going around basically filming a bunch of other people who frequent comic cons. So you got cameos from like Bruce Campbell shows up, Kevin Smith shows up. And um, it's very much a sort of like, we mentioned like the ego masturbatory thing. It's kind of like that, but for the convention set, which is to say, um, oh, it's really, there's not much for your ego to go on, basically. And it just feels like very thrown together and not very funny in a way that feels kind of just like an awkward sit. And it's only like the real charm you're supposed to, in theory, get out of this is like, oh, all of these like nerd famous people are in here and should be like a lot of fun. But it really isn't. It's just kind of like, a, oh, look, there's that guy. And he's doing a gag that is going on forever, basically. It feels very slapped together and just kind of like, a, once again, a self-congratulatory thing for like, look, we're all these people that go to conventions. Isn't that fun and crazy? And it's like, not really. You just get like, you know, people to come up and like take pictures or sign autographs and you get money off it. There's not, there's not a lot of meat to that for a feature film. I've never seen real life. Uh, I've never even heard of it until you told me that was going to possibly be one of your picks. So I kind of looked it up. I, I didn't even know it exists, but I'm definitely interested in it. Uh, talk about sort of forecasting the future. It's, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, I always like Albert Brooks and Grodin. Come on. Uh, but comic book the movie, uh, I remember being so kind of like pumped to see it because it was definitely during my, you know, Kevin Smith view a skew fandom days. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the previous sort. I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad ass. How funny. And it is so unbelievably bad. I mean, it is just terrible. 
terrible. And, you know, it sucks to, you know, say something Mark Hamill did is bad, even though he's done a lot of bad, but because the guy's awesome. But man, is this a bad movie? It, it's not funny. It, it's just a weird misplaced ego trip. And I, I just, I didn't understand really what I was, the point of what I was watching then. And I probably wouldn't understand it now. Yes. So let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody. Uh, Adam. Alrighty. I had what we do in the shadows and Polly Shore is dead. And then uh, I had my good pick of real life and my bad pick of comic book, the movie. So we recommend everybody submit your a double redo selections of your own, especially now with uh, the new format change. You only have to do a good one and a bad one. Uh, when we would love to hear them and talk about them on the show potentially. Uh, but we also want to thank uh, some people here before we get to doing our picking at the very end of the episode. Stay tuned for that. We want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water. Uh, on Twitter to find his link tree and all his other great places for his artwork. And thanks, of course, to our loyal Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, uh, you get to do stuff like vote in polls to pick top we covered like mockumentaries you all picked that and we greatly appreciate you uh guiding the show to that degree and also you get to listen to bonus podcasts like as of uh, the week this episode's coming out we should have two things uh, that should be either have been released or soon to be released uh where we'll have one our monthly uh podcast episode where we uh do a random thing in this case a media discussion where we talk about the alex garland made miniseries devs and then uh, also our On the Edge of Relevant show where we talk about modern movies that are recently released. And uh, we talk about The Northman. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Very excited. Very yeah. For that one. Yeah, yes. me too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but you get all of that for just the $1. And it really helps out the show. Really helps us to improve things, uh, get better equipment, um, you know, satiate Adam's like hunger for money. We need all of that. We appreciate every dollar. Yeah, and I do need money. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but for more of our antics, uh, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. And uh, you can also email us feedback, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. Um, and for more of my own individual stuff, you can follow me on Twitter and letterboxes at not the who's Tommy. And I also do some writing at uh, marianithomas.wordpress.com and film-cred.com. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And then I'm also on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. Yes, and we encourage you, if you like the show, to please uh, follow us on places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on the podcast network? And you can also dig into our archives on our Podbean main feed for like about 200 episodes before we joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't, uh, you know, help us with uh, the Patreon, if you're kind of strapped for cash, the totally free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because that gives us more visibility. Yeah, I mean, Christian Alvarez does it, and he's a fucking jerk. So if he could do it, you guys could do it. <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. Well, now, Adam, it's time to do our picking for next week's episode. And um, it's going to be a, a very interesting topic here because uh, we've repeated topics on the show before. 
but sure. this will be the first time we've ever repeated a topic centered around a particular creative person. Uh, in this particular case, we are doing another episode about Sam Raimi, who we did an episode about ages ago. Like mm-hmm. that's like uh, during the first year of the show, and uh, we decided to do it because obviously there's a new Sam Raimi movie coming out for the first time in about a decade, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which. I want to be really excited for. I want to be so excited for. But know, I'm just worried he's going to be swallowed up in that Marvel machine. I don't know. And we we've talked about previously. We've both just kind of like realized we lost that love and feeling we used to have. Yeah, and for especially for someone as unique as Sam Raimi, I I just hope it's not such a neutered version. But everything I'm seeing in the trailers and everything is telling me that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I want to be proven wrong. Yeah, oh, God, please prove me wrong. Please. We'll see. We'll see, yeah. But uh, we should say that, like, we're at least give us an opportunity to cover Sam Raimi again, who is definitely one of those people where, like, uh, we won't probably do that, like, covering a creative person's career again in another episode for all, all of those people we've done before. But Raimi deserves it. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's such a huge, important director, and the guy did some of the most important movies to me as a child. So, I mean... Sam fucking Raimi, dude. Yeah, the Spider-Man movies in particular for me as well were, like, very big on my childhood. We should note also, by the way, that the ones we covered previously were Darkman and Drag Me to Hell were the two that we covered on that older episode. So those are off the table for this particular uh, picking because you have uh, two good picks related to Mr. Sam Raimi since you had bad previously, and I have the same for two bad picks since I had good previously on the other Sam Raimi episodes, so your two good picks, my two bad picks, we've assigned numbers between 1 and 10 for both of those, and uh, the other person will pick a number between 1 and 10 to get the good and the bad choice related to a Mr. Raimi. So for your two good picks, Adam, I'm going to pick number 7. Alrighty. At number 9, I have what I think is Sam Raimi's best non-genre film, it's an amazing film. You and I, I think, have even talked about it, but I have a simple plan. I was hoping for this. I am so happy. His most underrated film. I 100% yes. agree. Great movie. Can't wait to talk about it. But what was your other choice? The one I had, The Gift. Oh, yeah. I have not seen that in so long, but yeah, I, I remember Solid liking that movie. One. Solid hmm. movie. Well, Adam. Oh, fuck. For my two, uh, dude. If it's what I, oh fuck! All right, all right. I'll go number two. Okay, that's very close to number three. And at number three, I have a movie that is sort of like infamously bad in his career, but um, I've revisited it. I don't think it's nearly as bad as people give it credit for. I think it's flawed, especially considering the other two very good films in this trilogy. I have Spider-Man Three. Okay, it's not what I thought it was going to be. So, all right take it so i assume what you were thinking of was over a number i had oz the great and powerful <laughs> yeah 100 yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 Jesus i mean look I'll, uh, spider-man 3 a better movie than oz the great and powerful i think we can both agree yeah. on that. <laughs> oh and, and the spider-man uh like extra cut uh three point whatever way better than the the editor's edition yes right we'll talk about the the, the different editions that that version has but yeah so spider-man 3 in a simple plan nice all right, well, on that note, Adam, it's time we've ended the show here, and uh, let's go ahead and end it with, um, I don't know, how do we end it? How do we end the show, Adam? I'm putting the ball in your court. How do we end this particular episode? 
Uh, I mean, if it's anything like Killing Gunther, for it, we it just goes on forever and ever and ever. Oh, and but we have a big celebrity cameo. Yeah, we do. It's uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know who the hell we got. Who? What's a celebrity we could get? Hey, everybody, it's Zach Galligan. Oh my God, Zach Galligan! He's here. I can't believe. It. Oh no, Zach! Watch out for the wolves.